Section twenty of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section twenty. Thursday. This morning my master came up to me and talked with me on various subjects for a good while together in the most kind manner. Among other things, he asked me if I chose to order any new clothes against my marriage. Oh, how my heart flutters when he mentions this subject so freely! I said, I left everything to his good pleasure, only repeated my request, for the reasons aforegiven, that I might not be too fine. He said, I think, my dear, it shall be very private, I hope you are not afraid of a sham marriage, and pray get the service by heart, that you may see nothing is omitted. I glowed between shame and delight. Oh, how I felt my cheeks burn! I said, I feared nothing, I apprehended nothing, but my own unworthiness. Said he, I think it shall be done within these fourteen days, from this day at this house. Oh, how I trembled, but not with grief, you may believe. What says my girl? Have you to object against any day of the next fourteen, because my affairs require me to go to my other house, and I think not to stir from this till I am happy with you? I have no will but yours, said I, all glowing like the fire as I could feel. But, sir, did you say in the house— Ay, said he, for I care not how privately it be done, and it must be very public if we go to church. It is a holy right, sir, said I, and would be better, methinks, in a holy place. I see, said he, most kindly, my lovely maid's confusion, and your trembling tenderness shows I ought to oblige you all I may. Therefore I will order my own little chapel, which has not been used for two generations for anything but a lumber-room, because our family seldom resided here long together, to be cleared and cleansed, and got ready for the ceremony, if you dislike your own chamber or mine. Sir, said I, that will be better than the chamber, and I hope it will never be lumbered again, but kept to the use for which, as I presume, it has been consecrated. Oh, yes, said he, it has been consecrated, and that several ages ago, in my great-great-grandfather's time, who built that and the good old house together. But now, my good girl, if I do not too much add to your sweet confusion, shall it be in the first seven days or the second of this fortnight? I looked down, quite out of countenance. Tell me, said he. In the second, if you please, sir, said I. "'As you please,' said he most kindly. "'But I should thank you, Pamela, if you would choose the first. "'I'd rather, sir, if you please,' said I, "'have the second. "'Well,' said he, "'be it so, but don't defer it till the last day of the fourteen. "'Pray, sir,' said I, "'since you emboldened me to talk on this important subject, "'may I not send my dear father and mother word of my happiness?' "'You may,' said he, "'but charge them to keep it secret till you or I direct the contrary.' And I told you I would see no more of your papers, but I meant I would not without your consent. But if you will show them to me, and now I have no other motive for my curiosity but the pleasure I take in reading what you write, I shall acknowledge it as a favour. If, sir, said I, you will be pleased to let me write over again one sheet, I will, though I had relied upon your word and not written them for your perusal. What is that? said he. Though I cannot consent to it beforehand, for I more desire to see them, because they are your true sentiments at the time, and because they were not written for my perusal. Sir, said I, what I am loath you should see are very severe reflections on the letter I received by the gipsy, when I apprehended your design of the sham marriage, though there are other things I would not have you see, but that is the worst. It can't be worse, said he, my dear sauce-box, than I have seen already, and I will allow your treating me in ever so black a manner, on that occasion, because it must have a very black appearance to you. Well, sir, said I, I think I will obey you before night. But don't alter a word, said he. I won't, sir, replied I, since you order it. 
while we were talking mrs jukes came up and said thomas was returned oh said my master let him bring up the papers for he hoped and so did i that you had sent them by him but it was a great bulk when he came up and said sir mr andrews did not care to deliver them and would have it that his daughter was forced to write that letter to him and indeed sir said he the old gentleman took on sadly and would have it that his daughter was undone or else he said she would not have turned back when on her way as i told him she did said thomas instead of coming to them i began to be afraid now that all would be bad for me again well tom said he don't mince the matter tell me before mrs andrews what they said why sir both he and goody andrews after they had conferred together upon your letter madame came out weeping bitterly that grieved my very heart and they said now all was over with their poor daughter and either she had written that letter by compulsion or had yielded to your honour so they said and was or would be ruined my master seemed vexed as i feared and i said pray sir be so good as to excuse the fears of my honest parents they cannot know your goodness to me and so said he without answering me they refused to deliver the papers yes and please your honour said thomas though i told them that you madame of your own accord on a letter i had brought you very cheerfully wrote what i carried but the old gentleman said why wife there are in these papers twenty things nobody should see but ourselves and especially not the squire oh the poor girl has had so many stratagems to struggle with and now at last she has met with one that has been too hard for her and can it be possible for us to account for her setting out to come to us and in such post-haste and when she had got above half-way to send us this letter and to go back again of her own accord as you say when we know that all her delight would have been to come to us and to escape from the peril she had been so long contending with and then and please your honour he said he could not bear this for his daughter was ruined to be sure before now and so said thomas the good old couple sat themselves down and hand in hand leaning upon each other's shoulder did nothing but lament i was piteously grieved said he but all i could say could not comfort them nor would they give me the papers though i told them i should deliver them only to mrs andrews herself and so and please your honour i was forced to come away without them my good master saw me all bathed in tears at this description of your distress and fears for me and he said i would not have you take on so i am not angry with your father in the main he is a good man and i would have you write out of hand and it shall be sent by the post to mr atkins who lives within two miles of your father and i'll enclose in it a cover of mine in which i'll desire mr atkins the moment it comes to his hand to convey it safely to your father or mother and say nothing of their sending their papers that it may not make them uneasy for i want not now to see them on any other score than that of mere curiosity and that will do at any time and so saying he saluted me before thomas and with his own handkerchief wiped my eyes and said to thomas the good old folks are not to be blamed in the main they don't know my honourable intentions by their dear daughter who tom will in a little time be your mistress though i shall keep the matter private some days and will not have it spoken of by my servants out of my house thomas said god bless your honour you know best and i said oh sir you are all goodness how kind is this to forgive the disappointment instead of being angry as i feared you would thomas then withdrew and my master said i need not remind you of writing out of hand to make the good folks easy and i will leave you to yourself for that purpose only send me down such of your papers as you are willing i should see with which i shall entertain myself for an hour or two but one thing added he i forgot to tell you the neighbouring gentry i mentioned will be here to-morrow to dine with me and i have ordered mrs jukes to prepare for them and must i sir said i be shown to them oh yes said he that's the chief reason of their coming 
and you'll see nobody equal to yourself. Don't be concerned. I opened my papers as soon as my master had left me, and laid out those beginning on the Thursday morning he set out for Stamford, with the morning visit he made me before I was up, and the injunctions of watchfulness, etc., to Mrs. Jukes, the next day's gypsy affair, and my reflections, in which I called him truly diabolical, and was otherwise very severe, on the strong appearances the matter had then against him. His return on Saturday, with the dread he put me in, on the offering to search me for my papers which followed those he had got by Mrs. Jukes's means, mine being forced to give them up, his carriage to me after he had read them, and questions to me, his great kindness to me on seeing the dangers I had escaped and the troubles I had undergone, and how I unseasonably, in the midst of his goodness, expressed my desire of being sent to you, having the intelligence of a sham marriage from the gypsy in my thoughts, how this enraged him and made him turn me away that very Sunday out of his house and send me on my way to you, the particulars of my journey and my grief at parting with him, and my free acknowledgment to you that I found, unknown to myself, I had begun to love him and could not help it, his sending after me to beg my return, but yet generously leaving me at my liberty, when he might have forced me to return whether I was willing or not. My resolution to oblige him, and fatiguing journey back. My concern for his illness on my return. His kind reception of me, and showing me his sister Daver's angry letter, against his behaviour to me, desiring him to set me free, and threatening to renounce him as a brother if he should degrade himself by marrying me. My serious reflections on this letter, etc., all of which I hope, with the others, you will shortly see. And this carried matters down to Tuesday night last. All that followed was so kind on his side, being our chariot conference, as above, on Wednesday morning, and how good he has been ever since, that I thought I would go no further, for I was a little ashamed to be so very open on that tender and most grateful subject, though his great goodness to me deserves all the acknowledgments I can possibly make. And when I had looked these out, I carried them down myself into the parlour to him, and said, putting them into his hands, Your allowance is good, sir, as heretofore, and if I have been too open and free in my reflections or declarations, let my fears on one side, and my sincerity on the other, be my excuse. You are very obliging, my good girl, said he. You have nothing to apprehend from my thoughts, any more than from my actions. So I went up, and wrote the letter to you, briefly acquainting you with my present happiness and my master's goodness, and expressing the gratitude of heart which I owe to the kindest gentleman in the world, and assuring you that I should soon have the pleasure of sending back to you not only those papers, but all that succeeded them to this time, as I know you delight to amuse yourself in your leisure hours with my scribble. And I said, carrying it down to my master before I sealed it, Will you please, sir, to take the trouble of reading what I write to my dear parents? Thank you, Pamela, said he, and sent me on his knee while he read it, and seems much pleased with it, and giving it me again— you are very happy, said he, my beloved girl, in your style and expressions, and the affectionate things you say of me are inexpressibly obliging. And again, with this kiss, said he, do I confirm for truth all that you have promised for my intentions in this letter. Oh, what halicon days are these! God continue them! A change would kill me quite. He went out in his chariot in the afternoon, and in the evening returned, and sent me word he would be glad of my company for a little walk in the garden, and down I went that very moment. He came to meet me. So, said he, how does my dear girl do now? Whom do you think I have seen since I have been out? I don't know, sir, said I. Why, said he, there is a turning in the road about five miles off that goes round a meadow that has a pleasant footway, by the side of a little brook, and a double row of limes on each side, where now and then the gentry in the neighbourhood walk and angle and divert themselves. I'll show it to you next opportunity." and I stepped out of my chariot to walk across this meadow, and bid Robin meet me with it on the further part of it, 
and whom should i spy there walking with a book in his hand reading but your humble servant mr williams don't blush pamela said he as his back was toward me i thought i would speak to the man and before he saw me i said how do you old acquaintance for said he you know we were of one college for a twelvemonth i thought the man would have jumped into the brook he gave such a start at hearing my voice and seeing me poor man said i ay said he but not too much of your poor man in that soft accent neither pamela said i i am sorry my voice is so startling to you mr williams what are you reading sir said he and stammered with the surprise it is the french telemachus for i am about perfecting myself if i can in the french tongue thought i i had rather so than perfecting my pamela in it you do well replied i don't you think that yonder cloud may give us a small shower and it did a little begin to wet he said he believed not much if said i you are for the village i'll give you a cast for i shall call at sir simon's in my return from the little round i am taking he asked me if it was not too great a favour no said i don't talk of that let us walk to the further opening there and we shall meet my chariot so pamela continued my master we fell into conversation as we walked he said he was very sorry he had incurred my displeasure and the more as he had been told by lady jones who had it from sir simon's family that i had a more honourable view than at first was apprehended i said we fellows of fortune mr williams take sometimes a little more liberty with the world than we ought to do wantoning very probably as you contemplative folks would say in the sunbeams of a dangerous affluence and cannot think of confining ourselves to the common paths though the safest and most eligible after all and you may believe i could not very well like to be supplanted in a view that lay next my heart and that by an old acquaintance whose good before this affair i was studious to promote i would only say sir said he that my first motive was entirely such as became my function and very politely said my master he added and i am very sure that however inexcusable i might seem in the progress of the matter you yourself sir would have been sorry to have it said you had cast your thoughts on a person that nobody could have wished for but yourself well mr williams said i i see you are a man of gallantry as well as religion but what i took most amiss was that if you thought me doing a wrong thing you did not expostulate with me upon it as your function might have allowed you to do but immediately determined to counterplot me and attempt to secure to yourself a prize you would have robbed me of and that from my own house but the matter is at an end and i retain not any malice upon it though you did not know but i might at last do honourably by her as i actually intend i am sorry for myself sir said he that i should so unhappily incur your displeasure but i rejoice for her sake in your honourable intentions give me leave only to say that if you make miss andrews your lady she will do credit to your choice with everybody that sees her or comes to know her and for person and mind both you may challenge the country in this manner said my master did the parson and i confabulate and i set him down at his lodgings in the village but he kept your secret pamela and would not own that you gave any encouragement to his addresses indeed sir said i he could not say that i did and i hope you believe me i do i do said he but tis still my opinion that if when i saw plots set up against my plots i had not discovered the parson as i did the correspondence between you might have gone to a length that would have put our present situation out of both our powers sir said i when you consider that my utmost presumption could not make me hope for the honour you now seem to design me that i was so hardly used and had no prospect before me but dishonour you will allow that i should have seemed very little in earnest in my professions of honesty if i had not endeavoured to get away but yet i resolved not to think of marriage for i never saw the man i could love till your goodness emboldened me to look up to you 
I should, my dear Pamela, said he, make a very ill compliment to my vanity, if I did not believe you, though, at the same time, justice calls upon me to say, that it is, some things considered, beyond my merit. There was a sweet, noble expression for your poor daughter, my dear father and mother, and from my master, too. I was glad to hear this account of the interview between Mr. Williams and himself, but I dared not to say so. I hope in time he will be reinstated in his good graces. He was so good as to tell me, he had given orders for the chapel to be cleared. Oh, how I look forward with inward joy, yet with fear and trembling! FRIDAY About twelve o'clock came Sir Simon, and his lady and two daughters, and Lady Jones, and a sister-in-law of hers, and Mr. Peters, and his spouse and niece. Mrs. Jukes, who is more and more obliging, was much concerned I was not dressed in some of my best clothes, and made me many compliments. They all went into the garden for a walk before dinner, and, I understood, were so impatient to see me that my master took them into the largest alcove, after they had walked two or three turns, and stepped himself to me. "'Come, my Pamela,' said he, "'the ladies can't be satisfied without seeing you, and I desire you'll come.' I said, I was ashamed, but I would obey him. Said he, "'The two ladies are dressed out in their best attire, but they make not such an appearance as my charming girl in this ordinary garb.' "'Sirs,' said I, "'shan't I follow you thither, for I can't bear you should do me so much honour. "'Well,' said he, "'I'll go before you.' And he bid Mrs. Jukes bring a bottle of sack and some cake. So he went down to them. This alcove fronts the longest gravel walk in the garden, so that they saw me all the way I came for a good way, and my master told me afterwards with pleasure all they said of me. "'Will you forgive the little vain slut your daughter if I tell you all, as he was pleased to tell me?' He said, spying me first, "'Look there, ladies, comes my pretty rustic.' They all, I saw, which dashed me, stood at the windows, and in the doorway, looking full at me. My master told me that Lady Jones said, "'She is a charming creature, I see that, at this distance.' And Sir Simon, it seems, who had been a sad rake in his younger days, swore he never saw so easy an air, so fine a shape, and so graceful a presence. The Lady Darnford said, "'I was a sweet girl,' and Mrs. Peter said very handsome things.' Even the parson said, I should be the pride of the county. Oh, dear sirs, all this was owing to the light my good master's favour placed me in, which made me shine out in their eyes beyond my deserts. He said the young ladies blushed, and envied me. When I came near, he saw me in a little confusion, and was so kind as to meet me. Give me your hand, said he, my poor girl, you walk too fast. For, indeed, I wanted to be out of their gazing. I did so with a curtsey, and he led me up the steps of the alcove, and, in a most gentlemanlike manner, presented me to the ladies, and they all saluted me, and said, They hoped to be better acquainted with me, and Lady Darnford was pleased to say, I should be the flower of their neighbourhood. Sir Simon said, Good neighbour, by your leave, and saluting me, added, Now I will say that I have kissed the loveliest maiden in England. But, for all this, methought I owed him a grudge for a tell-tale, though all had turned out so happily. Mr. Peters very gravely followed his example, and said, like a bishop, "'God bless you, fair excellence.' Said Lady Jones, "'Pray, dear madam, sit down by me.' And they all sat down, but I said I would stand if they pleased. "'No, Pamela,' said my master, "'pray sit down with these good ladies, my neighbours. They will indulge it to you for my sake till they know you better, and for your own when they are acquainted with you. "'Sir,' said I, "'I shall be proud to deserve their indulgence.' They all so gazed at me that I could not look up, for I think it is one of the distinctions of persons of condition and well-bred people to put bashful bodies out of countenance. "'Well, Sir Simon,' said my master, "'what say you now to my pretty rustic?' 
he swore a great oath that he should better know what to say to me if he was as young as himself lady darnford said you will never leave sir simon said my master you are a little confused my good girl and out of breath but i have told all my kind neighbours here a good deal of your story and your excellence yes said lady darnford my dear neighbour as i will call you we that are here present have all heard of your uncommon story madame i said you have heard then what must make your kind allowance for me very necessary no said mrs peters we have heard what will always make you valued as an honour to our sex and as a worthy pattern for all the young ladies in the county you are very good madame said i to make me able to look up and to be thankful for the honour you are pleased to do me mrs jukes came in with the canary brought by nan to the alcove and some cakes and a silver salver and i said mrs jukes let me be your assistant i will serve the ladies with the cake and so i took the salver and went round to the good company with it ending with my master the lady jones said she was never served with such a grace and it was giving me too much trouble oh madame said i i hope my good master's favour will never make me forget that it is my duty to wait upon his friends master sweet one said sir simon i hope you won't always call mr b by that name for fear it should become a fashion for all our ladies to do the like through the county ay sir said i shall have many reasons to continue this style which cannot affect your good ladies sir simon said lady jones you are very arch upon us but i see very well that it will be the interest of all the gentlemen to bring their ladies into an intimacy with one that can give them such a good example i am sure then madame said i it must be after i have been polished and improved by the honour of such an example as yours they were all very good and affable and the young lady darnford who had wished to see me in distress said i beg your pardon dear miss as she called me but i had heard how sweetly this garb became you and was told the history of it and i begged it as a favour that you might oblige us with your appearance in it i am much obliged to your ladyship said i that your kind prescription was so agreeable to my choice why said she was it your choice then i am glad of that though i am sure your person must give and not take ornament from any dress you are very kind madame said i but there will be less reason to fear i should forget the high obligations i should have to the kindest of gentlemen when i can delight to show the humble degree from which his goodness has raised me my dear pamela said my master if you proceed at this rate i must insist upon your first seven days you know what i mean sir said i you are all goodness they drank a glass of sack each and sir simon would make me do so too saying it will be a reflection madame upon all the ladies if you don't do as they no sir simon said i that can't be because the ladies journey hither makes a glass of canary a proper cordial for them but i won't refuse because i will do myself the honour of drinking good health to you and to all this worthy company said good lady darnford to my master i hope sir we shall have mrs andrews company at table he said very obligingly madame it is her time now and i will leave it to her choice if the good ladies then will forgive me sir said i i had rather be excused they all said i must not be excused i begged i might your reason for it my dear pamela said my master since the ladies requested i wish you would oblige them sir replied i your goodness will make me every day worthier of the honour the ladies do me and when i can persuade myself that i am more worthy of it than at present i shall with great joy embrace all the opportunities they will be pleased to give me mrs peters whispered lady jones as my master told me afterwards did you ever see such excellence such prudence and discretion never in my life said the other good lady she will adorn she was pleased to say her distinction ay says mrs peters she would adorn any station in life 
my good master was highly delighted generous gentleman as he is with the favourable opinion of the ladies and i took the more pleasure in it because their favour seemed to lessen the disgrace of his stooping so much beneath himself lady darnford said we will not oppress you though we can almost blame your too punctilious exactness but if we excuse miss anders from dinner we must insist upon her company at the card-table and add a dish of tea for we intend to pass the whole day with you sir as we told you what say you to that pamela said my master sir replied i whatever you and the ladies please i will cheerfully do they said i was very obliging but sir simon rapped out an oath and said that they might dine together if they would but he would dine with me and nobody else for said he i say sir as parson williams said by which i found my master had told them the story you must not think you have chosen one that nobody can like but yourself the young lady said if i pleased they would take a turn about the garden with me i answered i would very gladly attend them and so we three and lady jones's sister-in-law and mr peter's niece walked together they were very affable kind and obliging and we soon entered into a good deal of familiarity and i found miss darnford a very agreeable person her sister was a little more on the reserve and i afterwards heard that about a year before she would fain have had my master make his addresses to her but though Sir Simon is reckoned rich, she was not thought sufficient fortune for him. And now, to have him look down so low as to me must be a sort of mortification to a poor young lady. And I pitied her, indeed I did. I wish all young persons of my sex could be as happy as I am like to be. My master told me afterwards that I left the other ladies, and Sir Simon and Mr. Peters, full of my praises, so that they could hardly talk of anything else, one launching out upon my complexion, another upon my eyes, my hand, and, in short, for you'll think me sadly proud, upon my whole person and behaviour, and they all magnified my readiness and obligingness in my answers and the like, and I was glad of it, as I said, for my good master's sake, who seemed quite pleased and rejoiced. God bless him for his goodness to me. Dinner not being ready, the young ladies proposed a tune on the spinet. I said I believed it was not in tune. They said they knew it was but a few months ago. If it is, said I, I wish I had known it, though indeed, ladies, added I, since you know my story, I must own, that my mind has not been long in tune to make use of it. So they would make me play upon it, and sing to it, which I did, a song my dear good lady made me learn, and used to be pleased with, and which she had brought with her from Bath, and the ladies were much taken with the song, and were so kind as to approve my performance. And Miss Darnford was pleased to compliment me, that I had all the accomplishments of my sex. I said, I had had a good lady, in my master's mother, who had spared no pains nor cost to improve me. She said, she wished Mr. B. could be prevailed upon to give a ball on an approaching happy occasion, that we might have a dancing match, etc. But I can't say I do, though I did not say so. For these occasions, I think, are too solemn for the principles, at least of our sex, to take part in, especially if they have the same thoughts of that solemnity that I have. For, indeed, though I have before me a prospect of happiness, that may be envied by ladies of high rank, yet I must own to you, my dear parents, that I have something very awful upon my mind when I think of the matter, and shall more and more as it draws nearer and nearer. This is the song. 1. Go, happy paper, gently steal, and underneath her pillow lie. There in soft dreams my love reveal, that love which I must still conceal, and wrapped in awful silence die. 2. Should flames be doomed thy hapless fate, to atoms thou wouldst quickly turn, my pains may bear a longer date, for should I live, and should she hate, in endless torments I should burn. 3. 
Tell fair Aurelia she has charms, might in a hermit stir desire. To attain the heaven that's in her arms, I'd quit the world's alluring harms, and to a cell content retire. 4. Of all that pleased my ravished eye, her beauty should supply the place. Bold Raphael's strokes and Titian's dye, should but in vain presume to vie, with her inimitable face. 5. No more I'd wish her Phobius's rays, to gild the object of my sight. Much less the taper's fainter blaze, her eyes should measure out my days, and when she slept it should be night. End of section 20